heard about a guy that took a vacation and uh, he was getting off the plane at the airport. He calls an Uber. Uber shows up. He gets in the car. First time he'd ever taken an Uber, by the way. Uh, and um, he's sitting in the back seat and he leans up into the front a little bit and he taps the guy driving on the shoulder to get his attention so he can just ask him a couple of questions. Well, the driver screamed and lost control of the cab, nearly hit a bus, hops up over a curb, stops just inches in front of a plate glass window of a downtown store. For a few moments, everything was silent in the car and then the shaking Uber driver said, are you okay? I'm so sorry, but you scared the daylights out of me. And the badly shaken passenger apologized to the driver and said, No, I'm sorry. I didn't realize that a mere tap on the shoulder would startle you like that. And the driver replied, No, no, no. I'm the one who's sorry. It's entirely my fault. You see, today is my very first day on the job as an Uber driver and I just retired from my previous job. And he said, What did you do before? He said, I drove a hearse. Now, <laughs> I'm excited to preach today. We just got back from uh, Nashville for the Spire Conference, and uh, Sandy and Kendall were there, Stacy and I, and uh, our batteries are recharged from the worship and the teaching that we receive, so I'm excited to share with you uh, today what uh, I think the Lord has given to me to share with you. I'm excited uh, to have a drummer with us this morning, Scott. I didn't mean to put you on the spot there, but it's pretty cool to, uh, to that's so important. We've, that's something we've been praying for, uh, to get Spencer out from behind the drums. Uh, I mean, he's not much to look at, but he's like definitely uh, better uh, out front here where he can just be more engaged with, with you guys in, in worship. And so Scott and his family, Elizabeth's kids, you guys are an answer to prayer. Glad that you're here. Um, today is our third and final week of the series, Fear Not. And you might remember in week one that we talked about the difference between healthy fear and unhealthy fear. And we know that God did not give us a spirit of fear, but rather a spirit of power, a spirit of love, a spirit of self-discipline, self-control, and how that same power that rose Jesus from the dead lives inside of us. We also learned in the second week that fear does have a place in our lives, uh, but that place is in the hands of Jesus. And so if you have fear in your life, you don't hang on to that. You give that uh, to the Lord. Fear, worry, troubles, those things are always going to come. They're always going to be a part of our lives. It, it just depends on how much we're going to hold on to them as as to how we uh, live our lives and, and whether we're going to be free or if we're going to be bound by fear. And so fear has a It's in the hands of Jesus. Today we're going to look at one of the most important lessons that I think Jesus taught the original followers in his day. This is a teaching that we cannot miss. It's an important lesson that we need to understand, and it cannot be understated. Simply put, as followers of Jesus Christ, we are called to be focused on today. Nothing more. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't make plans. That doesn't mean that you don't prepare for your future. But when it comes to the circumstances of the day, Jesus calls us to just focus on this day. And can we just be honest for a moment here this morning? 
Would you agree with me that the opportunities for fear, the opportunities for anxiety, the opportunities for worry and doubt are at an all-time high in our lives today? There are things going on in our lives right now that we used to be afraid of that we don't even give a second thought to now because there's so many other crazy things going on in our world. We don't even have time to worry about the things we used to be afraid of, right? For instance, Sammy Terry does not scare me anymore. At least not that much, right? And as long as Stacy is standing on the front porch watching, I can take the trash out at night. It's not even that big a deal anymore, you know? In all seriousness, though, it's well documented that people are struggling with so much right now. Again, quite possibly more now than they have in their entire lives. And as followers of Jesus, when fears hit us, instead of curling up in the fetal position and just waiting for Jesus to come back, can we just pause for a moment and consider that maybe right now this current climate in which we live only makes the words of Jesus more wonderful and more amazing and more comforting and more powering when he says, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. One more time, the creator of the universe, the one who sees all things at all times, the great shepherd who has promised to walk beside us even through the valley of the shadow of death says, don't worry about tomorrow. And so if we're not to worry about tomorrow, what's that leave us? That leaves us today. Let's just focus on today and forget the past. That's behind us. We can't do anything about that to change it anyway, right? So forget the past. Don't worry about tomorrow. Live today. We're calling this message one day at a time because that's what God has asked us to do in our relationship with him is just live it one day at a time. I ran across this quote this week. I think it's very powerful from Dale Carnegie. Uh, I think it's, it's pretty incredible. We need to commit it to memory. He said this. Remember, today is the tomorrow you worried about yesterday. Think about that. Today is the tomorrow that you worried about yesterday. And I don't know about you, but I find this incredibly freeing, the reality to understand that the things that we worried about yesterday, 99.9% .9 of them didn't come to fruition, but we wasted a lot of time worrying about it the day before. And here we are in the day... And it didn't come true. I think Carnegie tapped into something that Jesus talked about 2,000 years ago on a hillside in Galilee in what we know as the Sermon on the Mount. So I want to take a moment to read a portion of that to you. It's from Matthew chapter 6, beginning with verses 25 through 27. Then we're going to skip ahead to verse 31 through 34. For I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear, is not life more important than food? And the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat or what shall we drink? For the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. 
But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I think there's three things that we can point out about this passage of Scripture that, I, that resonates with me, I think will resonate with you about uh, how we can just understand that God's in control and we can take our worries and fears and lay them at His feet, place them in, in His hands. The first one is this. You need to recognize your value in Christ. To begin, we collectively remember that life is more important than anything else. It's more important than the food that you eat, the clothes that you wear, the vacation that you might take next month, the size of your retirement account, your zip code, uh, anything else that you might be currently uh, concerned with. God is bigger than what's going on in Afghanistan. God is bigger than what is going on in our world concerning COVID. God is bigger than what's going on in the political realm. God is bigger than that. And he says, I don't want you wasting your time. I don't want you giving a second thought about all of these things that cause you fear and worry about them. Now, that doesn't mean we're unconcerned about those things. It just means, listen, don't cower in fear. Don't crumble to the enemy. The Father doesn't want us wasting our time uh, he doesn't want us to waste any of our precious lives paralyzed by unhealthy fear and worry and anxiety. He says, bring it to me. He says, I I'm willing to take it all on. If you remember last week's sermon, that's the secret that Paul learned, right? He said, I've learned the secret of being content. I've learned the secret about fear. I've learned the secret about anxiety. I've learned the secret about worry. Place them in the hands of God. Not your own hands. Get rid of them. Stop hanging on to them, Paul said. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything. By prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's a promise from God. He's promised that to us. And Jesus in the book of Matthew says, you don't need to worry. It's a waste of your eternally valuable time and effort to worry about things that you have no control over anyway. In this passage of Scripture, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is saying, listen guys, if God cares so much about things such as flowers, and birds, how much more does he care about you? How much more does he think about you? How much more is he concerned about you? If he provides for birds and flowers, you who are created in his image, you whom he sent his son to die for, how much more will he take care of you? Joel Hemphill wrote a song back in the 70s called Consider the Lilies. I want to read some of the lyrics to you. It says, Consider the lilies, they don't toil nor spin, and there's not a king with more splendor than them. Consider the sparrows, they don't plant nor sow, but they, they're fed by the master who watches them grow. May I introduce you to this friend of mine who hangs out the stars and tells the sun when to shine. He kisses the flowers each morning with dew, but he's not too busy to care about you. 
We have a heavenly Father above with eyes so full of mercy and a heart full of love. He really cares when your head is bowed low. Consider the lilies. And then you'll know how much He cares for you. You need to understand just how valuable you are to the King of Kings. Secondly, you need to rely on him for your daily bread. You may remember last week we talked that there uh, is a command not to fear. There's 365 of them in the Bible, one for every single day of the year. From Genesis to Revelation, 365 commands to fear not. Many commentators have marveled at that. They've pointed it out. God gave us the specific command for every single day of the year. You could literally make a calendar and put a passage of Scripture every single day with a fear not on it. I want to give you a couple of examples of what he's told us in Isaiah. First in chapter 43, verse 1, he says, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Now, if God loves you enough to send his son, if Jesus loves you enough to leave heaven and come down here and live in this world only to be tortured and killed like a criminal, if he loves you that much to do that in the first place, how much do you think he cares about what you're going through right now? He cares a whole lot about it, and he hears you. Isaiah 41.10, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I want you to, uh, to see something that Jesus says in the Lord's Prayer. It's found in Matthew chapter 6 also. And he says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Our, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then he says, let's just say this together, the last part. Give us today our daily bread. That's what he tells us to do. That's what he tells us to pray for. Give us today our daily bread. And Jesus reminds us of a couple of things here in this, what we call the Lord's Prayer. First, our God in heaven, he's holy. He's worthy of reverence. We should fear him. We should have this reverence for him and his will on earth is what we need in our lives. But secondly, he's asked us to pray for our daily bread, our daily nourishment, our daily sustenance, if you will. And what many of us do is we consume a daily portion of fear and anxiety and worry and doubt. And what we're doing is, instead of filling ourselves with the things that God is asking us to fill ourselves with, we're filling ourselves with junk food instead of what God wants us to have. And we all know that a steady diet of junk food leads to really, really bad stuff. And so before we move on, I want you to catch what Jesus is saying here in Matthew 6. He's saying, listen, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough trouble of its own. But he's saying, listen, you need to pray and you need to specifically ask God for your daily food, your daily nourishment that you need. Now, I don't know that this necessarily means a physical food. I think it's more in reference to a spiritual thing that we need to be asking him for on a regular basis. His advice on prayer is focus on your everyday 
practical needs. Now, it could be that some of you need to be praying for food every single day, but in the society in which we live right now, most of us in this room, that's not our struggle, right? Most of us, we know where our next meal is coming from. I think what God is saying to us here today is that we need to have every single day the nourishment from God that we need in our lives. He knows the troubles that every single day brings along with it and the ample amount of trouble that Satan's going to throw at us every single day that we might be afraid of, that we might be worried about, that we might be anxious about. And he says, I don't want you to worry about it. I don't want you to fear. I think this is why he says specifically to ask every single day for our daily bread. And why we're told to just stay focused on today. Just stay focused on what God wants for you here today. God in heaven knows that a single day at a time is enough of a challenge for me and for you. Now, the third thing that I think you need to understand about this passage of Scripture is that you need to be responsible for the placement of your fears because God just doesn't come in unannounced. God just doesn't rush in and just take over your life and make everything sunshine and roses. You are the one who is responsible for placing your fears in the hands of Jesus. I said earlier that I thought it was incredibly freeing, and I want to elaborate on this just a little bit. Um, I want to call your attention back a little bit to the past couple Sundays. First, we talked about the difference between healthy and unhealthy fear, as I mentioned earlier, but then we talked about putting fear in its proper place, and when you add that to what we're learning from Jesus today, you begin to see how we can overcome this fear in our lives, some self-discipline, some confidence in the process that Jesus is un in control and you can take this fear, and you can take this worry, and you can take this anxiety and this doubt, and you can put them in their proper place, knowing that it's your responsibility to be focused on just today. You don't have to be consumed with what might even happen tomorrow. You don't have to worry about what might happen next month. You don't have to worry about when your kids go off to college. You don't have to worry about what's going to happen when you retire. You're too valuable to waste your time worrying about that kind of stuff. Your time on earth is too precious to waste it in fear and worry about things that probably aren't even going to happen. Give it to Him. I, I read a story this week um, about Frank Sinatra. Um, his daughter tells the story in her book, uh, Tina Sinatra. His daughter recalls her father's uh, unceasing drive to succeed and make money in his life, even when his health was at risk. His health was in absolute tatters. His life was mired in financial trouble. And uh, she says that her father just continued to do concert after concert after concert in spite of the health risks that he was facing. He said, I've just got to earn more money. I've just got to earn more money. His performances, sad to say, were becoming more and more uh, uneven, she says. Uncertain of his memory, he became dependent upon a teleprompter. 
She said, when I saw him at Desert Inn in Las Vegas, he struggled through the show, felt so sick at the end of the show that he needed oxygen from a tank uh, that he kept on hand just to recover. Another show, he forgot the lyrics to Second Time Around, a ballad he had sung thousands of times. He forgot the words and his adoring fans finished the song for him. She said, I couldn't stand to see Dad struggle. And I remembered all the times that he repeated the old boxing uh, mantra, if you will, you got to get out before you hit the mat. You got to get out before you hit the mat. Well, he wanted to retire at the top of his game. She says, I always thought that he would know when his time came, but pushing 80, he lost track of when to quit. And after seeing one of his many fiascos in one of his concerts, I told him, Pop, you can stop now. You don't have to stay on the road. And with a stricken expression, he said, No, I've got to earn more money. I've got to make sure everyone is taken care of. Since his death, there has been constant family arguments and struggles over his finances. And it's crazy to me to think that he worried so much about making so much money so that his family would be taken care of, that he risked his health, probably didn't even enjoy his life the way that he could have enjoyed his life, but he struggled and pushed through and tried to do some of the things to provide for his family, and then when it was all boiled down, his family is fighting over it and didn't even have access to a lot of it. You say, that's just crazy. But we do the same thing on a larger and more meaningful scale. God has promised us peace, and he's given us everything that we need to live freely in him, to live peacefully in him, and yet we fight him all the time. As the people of God, he said, if you lack peace, ask for it. As the people of God, we're told to walk and live by faith, and we trust God even in the face of fear. And as we've learned in this series, we can play an active role in identifying what those fears are and giving them back to God. This is our daily responsibility. It reminds me of a story in uh, Numbers chapters 13 and 14. You might already know the story. There's 12 spies, remember, when they're sent into the promised land, they return with this fear-filled report about the giants who lived in the fortified cities there, and there's no way that we're ever going to be able to overtake the city. All these spies said this except two, Caleb and Joshua. They're the only two spies that trusted in the Lord to deliver his people into the land that he had promised. Well, the rest of the spies and the people of Israel, Egypt and live in slavery. And in this instance, it cost God's people an additional 40 years wandering in the desert. Because they were more afraid of what could be rather than trusting in, in God. The people of God allowed fear to rob them of the promise of God. I don't ever want the people of God in this place to be robbed of the promises of God because of fear in our lives. I don't want the enemy to be able to steal any of our precious time. Now, obviously, that's a pretty intense story. I think it's one of the most painful stories in the history of God's people being 
set free from slavery and entering into the promised land. It's a, it's a tragedy, really. But some of these same points in this story are still applicable in our lives today. Is fear robbing you of the promises of God today? Is fear stealing your precious time? Are you feeling paralyzed about the potential trouble that could be in the future? I could go on and on and on. Because there's a multitude of ways that Satan works in our lives to cause us fear. At the conclusion of the first sermon in our series, I said it just speaks to how destructive, unhealthy fear can be in our lives. We need to understand that God has given us a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline to overcome those fears. And we desperately need that discipline to check ourselves. We need discipline to form new habits. We need the discipline to help deliver us from the unhealthy fear that's in our lives. Today I want to add an important addendum to that statement. We only need to exercise that spirit-filled self-discipline one day at a time. I think sometimes we look at our lives and sometimes we get so overwhelmed that, that, that we don't even know where to start. Has anybody ever been there? God says, listen, it's, it's like the whole, how do you eat an elephant, right? <laughs> One bite at a time. You're not going to just devour the whole thing. And, and, and fear is like this huge thing that we don't think we can ever overcome. And God says, listen, I, I don't want you to worry about the big picture necessarily. I want you to handle one day at a time. And let my Holy Spirit do his work in you. The past couple of weeks, I've given you specific challenges, and this coming week, I want to continue them. What I want you to do, I want you every single day to identify areas of unhealthy fear in your life, and then I want you to place that fear back in the hands of God through a gratitude-laced prayer, and then as you continue to make this habit, I think you're going to begin to see this divine peace in your life that you don't even understand. But I believe, more importantly, it's going to put a distance between yourself and fear. All the while living your best life for God. If I were to ask each and every one of you, do you want to live your best life for God? I think everybody would say, yes, absolutely. This is how you do it. Now, before we pray, I want you to imagine for a moment how different the story would have ended if the Israelites would have just practiced what I'm talking about. If they would have trusted God, if they wouldn't have been afraid of the giants in the fortified city, what if the 12 spies would have returned back to camp and led a prayer with God's people that sounded something like this. Father in heaven, we thank you for freeing us from slavery in Egypt. Thank you for providing for us in the desert these years. Thank you for bringing us here to the very edge of the land that you've promised, Lord. We see that there's giants living in the land. They're, they're, uh, they're impenetrable cities. We see them. We're scared. It's hard to see how we might be successful in this battle against the enemies like them. But we trust you. We know that you can do anything. You spoke to Moses through a burning bush. You parted the Red Sea. You destroyed the armies of Pharaoh. We believe that you can do this too. We put, your, we put our trust in you. Lead us. Calm our hearts. 
calm our fears and deliver us into the promised land. What a difference it would have made for the children of Israel. How different your life would look, my life would look, if we focused on today and just trusted God. What if we begin to live in the moment trusting God for every single thing, every single day, instead of putting our hope and our trust in the things of the world, instead of being afraid, instead of relying on our own power, what if we begin to put our trust in God? One of the best Christian films I think ever made, even though the acting's a little cheesy and it's a little bit low budget, I think it started uh, a string of incredible Christian movies, and that's Facing the Giants. And, and there's so many obstacles that Coach... Uh, Grant Taylor had to face in that story. It's just an incredible movie. If you haven't seen it, you need to see it. Uh, get through the bad acting at the beginning. It's worth it. Trust me. And in the story, he's afraid that he's going to lose his job as the coach. And, and he's fearful and he's worried because he and his wife want to have children so badly and they haven't been able to have children and they're afraid they're never going to have children. They're in financial difficulties, financial pressures. There's issues in the movie going on with the students and the football players that they love. And their world is getting pretty rough. If you've seen the movie, you know how God shows up. And, and so I want you to watch as we close this morning this, this three-minute clip of how this worried, fearful coach gets through the situation and how God shows up. Go ahead. I got something to say. David Childers. Don't you ever let anyone tell you that you're under par, second rate, or inferior. I just watched God do a miracle through you. I saw a field of giants, 85 of them to be exact, fall into feet. You tell me what's impossible with God. Nothing, Coach. Zach, I just watched you and the offense do what they said could not be done. Now you tell me what's impossible with God. Nothing, Coach. Brock, how about it? Built that stone wall, didn't you? And it stood. Now you tell me what's impossible with God. Nothing, Coach. How about it, Scott? What's impossible with God? Nothing. Are you sure? Because those giants are big. They are numbers three to one. Are you sure there's nothing impossible with God? I'm sure, Coach. How about it, Nathan? What's impossible with God? Nothing, Coach. Jonathan? Nothing. Are you positive? Positive, Coach. So am I. So am I. God can do whatever he wants to do, however he wants to do it. And he chooses to work in our lives because he loves us, because he's good. Hope today is a milestone for what he can do for the rest of your life if you trust him. Let me spend some time thanking him. Well, look who just walked in this house. Couldn't be the state champion coach Grant Taylor, could it? Because he's not supposed to live here.
He's supposed to be out looking for a job. Guy did it, Brooke. He did it. He gave me his job. Provided for our needs. Took away my fear. He throws in the state championship just because he can. It's been one of the best days of my life. The day's not over yet. What do you mean? Grant Taylor, I just want you to know that you've made the team. What team? The daddy team. We're gonna have a baby. We're gonna have a baby. Tell me, Coach Taylor. Tell me what's impossible when God's on your side. Oh, God. Oh, God, I'm overwhelmed. I got something to say. I've seen that so many times I tear up every time I watch it. In fact, I want to watch the whole movie again. In fact, I might do that instead of watching my Cowboys lose this afternoon. What's impossible with God, church? I don't know what you're facing right now. I don't know how big it is or how minor it might be, but God is concerned about it. He cares about you. And I'm not saying that He's going to give you everything that you ask for. I'm not even saying he's going to perform this miracle. As our worship team comes this morning and leads us in this final song, um, I'm just going to ask you um, to just trust him. Whatever it is you're struggling with, whatever it is that you're facing, whatever it is you're worried about that's already happened, would you just give it to him? Would you turn it over to the Lord? Maybe you're here today and you've, you've not made that decision to even follow him. Um, we want to give you that opportunity as well. Maybe you want some folks to pray with you. Some of our elders will be available to, to pray with you if you come down to the front and, and uh, you have a need this morning. Um, I'm going to ask you to stand and whatever impossible thing you might think you see right now, understand that nothing is impossible with God. Father, I thank you um, for your love. I thank you that even though we may be walking through the valley of the shadow of death, you're with us. 